And we're going to turn now to God's Word. So if you've got a Bible, if you could open up, up at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Peter's going to return to the front to read that part of that chapter to us. Thanks, Pete. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 12. Uh, that's on page 1153 in the Church Bible. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to become uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, there are are different kinds of work, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now in each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the works of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Thanks, Peter. Um, well, let's uh, pray as we come to God's Word, shall we? Father God, we do thank you that it is by your Spirit that we are able to say Jesus is Lord. And we do pray that your Spirit would enable us this evening to hear directly what you're saying to us, that you would open our hearts to receive and to respond to your Word. I do pray this evening that you would build us up as a church in unity and in maturity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last summer we studied the the first ten chapters of uh, 1 Corinthians, and uh, over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at um, these next three chapters, 12 to 14, which are among some of the most controversial in the church uh, today. Um, which is ironic because uh, the main message that uh, Paul is trying to convey to the church in Corinth was the importance and the blessing of unity in the church, unity in diversity. And as we shall see in these chapters, the gifts of the Spirit uh, were given for the common good, for the building up of the church, hence the title for this series, Body Building. And my prayer is that By the end of the series, we won't uh, all be looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, But we'll be a church that is seeking to build one another up using the gifts that God has given us. There have been loads of books written on these chapters, and I appreciate uh, that some of you may be coming to this with your own um, certain uh, understandings or preconceptions of uh, what it says. But can I just ask us all to maybe just put that aside and just pray that the Lord would speak to us from his word. 
And if there are new understandings that we're gaining from this, that uh, we will be ready to receive those. Uh, there will be opportunity at the end of this series to, um, to have some discussion and prayer about how we might apply this to the life of the church. And I do pray we can learn from one another. But let's pray also that the Lord will protect us from the devil. Um, it be terrible if after studying a passage on unity that we end up divided. Well, a bit about the context uh, before we look at the passage. Um, Paul had founded the church in Corinth in about um, AD 51-52. And according to Acts 18, it spent a couple of years there discipling the new believers. Um, but it was a large, prosperous, cosmopolitan city known for its loose morality. And so people who had been used to a, a carefree, self-centered lifestyle were finding it hard to change and meet the expectations of the Christian life. But one of the main th- themes of the book, as I've said, is unity. And if you could just to, to trace that through very briefly as we start together. If we go back to chapter to 1, for example. There we see how the letter opens with these words. Verse 10 of chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. The unity is not a, a static thing. The point of being united is in order to grow. Um, but if you don't have unity, then growth won't come. And so as we go into chapter 2, Paul, Paul writes, we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So when we are united, we can work together side by side to achieve growth. Chapter 6, Paul uh, criticizes the Corinthian believers for taking one another to court and uh, asks this question, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be wronged and allow the gospel to be undermined. Um, Steve Levy of the Church Weekend away last um, weekend said that when he was feeling quite angry at some unjust treatment that he had received, somebody spoke these wise words to him. Why not rather be wronged and see a church divided and, and stand on your rights? Why not rather be wronged? In chapter 8, uh, Paul says... Uh, Sorry, jumping ahead to be careful that the service or exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. He's saying you may have decided in your conscience that eating meat sacrificed to idols is okay because there's only one true God and an idol is nothing. But Paul says if it means me discouraging a brother or sister in Christ, I would rather not eat any meat at all. I'd rather not undermine their faith. And as they talk about sharing the Lord's Supper together, he says, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. Unity is so important in the church. A church that is united and working together for the sake of Christ will achieve much. And the devil knows that. So he will do all he can to try and divide us. Well, the, unity, the issue of unity in the church also applied um, to worship and the use of spiritual gifts, as we will see 
in this uh, short series. So let's turn back to chapter 12, which was read for us. And um, the chapter starts by reminding us of what it is that unites us. Have a look at those first three verses. What is it you think that unites us as Long Crendon Baptist Church? What is it we have in common? Is it the fact that we like singing along to, to Getty and, and Townend? Or Gownend, as we heard uh, last weekend? Um, is it that we like drinking our wine as grape juice out of small little glasses? Is it that we like congregational church government? Well, none of that is important. What unites us is that we all say Jesus is Lord. We all accept that um, we are not Lord of our lives. We may be able to remember a time when we lived as though we were Lord of our lives. We may be able to remember a time when we were led astray to worship dumb idols. But something's happened to, to change us. What was that? Well, the question should rather be, who was that? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enabled us to see that Jesus is Lord and to be able to profess our faith in him. To say Jesus is Lord is not um, uh, to trot out an empty phrase. It's to live a life of submission to him. It's to crucify our sinful habits, the desires of the flesh, and to enjoy life in Jesus. Life that is meant to be lived, a relationship with him. That is what unites us. So let's not let our, our petty differences, our, our niggles with one another, pull us apart. Let's not allow the devil to pull us apart. Let's rejoice in the fact that we worship the same Lord. As it says in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Well, let's come on to the, the gifts. And the first thing we notice uh, before we even get into the, the gifts is the fact that we are given different gifts reflects the unity and diversity of the Godhead. Have a look at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So we try and put that side by side. We have... Uh, different kinds of gifts with same spirit, different kinds of service, same Lord, different kinds of working, same God. In each case, we have different kinds of something linked to one person of the Trinity. The Godhead is united, three persons in one. But each person in the, the Trinity has a different role to play, as we've been looking at in our home groups this, uh, this term. I don't want to push the significance of the, these choice of words, but um, it appears that the, the Spirit is associated with gifts. The Lord Jesus came to, to serve. And God the Father works all things according to his sovereign grace. So having established that our unity, our diversity, is grounded in the Godhead, 
What then does Paul go on to teach us about how that unity and diversity is worked out in the life of the church? We'll look at verse 7 to 11 this week and come back to the rest of the chapter next week. And the crucial verse that um, is in this passage we looked at so far this evening is I think verse 7. Have a look at it. It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. First thing we should know here is that the the emphasis is on the manifestation of the Spirit. It's not on the, the recipient of a gift. It's all about how we can manifest, how we can show the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is that the gifts are not primarily for our benefit, but for the common good. And to have a look at other texts to help us understand that better, let's go to Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 11. It's on the screen if you don't want to turn to it. There Paul writes, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I think Paul means here he wants to help them have a gift, but he's saying, I want to give you the benefit of my gifts. I want to use the spiritual gifts I've been given to strengthen you. Not to strengthen them physically, but to strengthen them in their faith. He says that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. If we go on to Thessalonians there, Paul again writes to the, the church there in Thessalonica. He says, we sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ. Why do they send him? To strengthen and to encourage you in your faith. And later in chapter 14, if you flick going back to 1 Corinthians, uh, if you flick over a page, Paul writes specifically about prophecy, but I think it applies to all the spiritual gifts. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and their comfort. Each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good to strengthen and encourage others in the faith. Now, we all need strengthening in our faith, don't we, um, all the time? Um, because we're constantly under attack. That's why we come together on, on a Sunday, and that's why we come together in our small groups, to be strengthened by one another. But sometimes we need particular strengthening. When difficult trials come our way in different forms. And we're given gifts to, to help others stand firm in their faith, to keep their faith when their faith is under attack by life's storms. We'll have a look at some of these gifts mentioned, but it's important to get this principle right first. If we know what the purpose of the gifts is, then that may help us avoid some of the difficulties of not knowing which gift is mine. Have I got the gift of healing? Have I got the gift of wisdom or, or prophecy? Because this passage is not meant to be an exhaustive list of gifts. After all, there are other gifts mentioned in in other parts of the Bible. But it's giving some examples of spiritual gifts that can be used for the common good. We're called in chapter 14 to eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. But if we don't get this principle right that it's for the common good, then it will become all about us. 
After all, who wouldn't want the gift of healing? How good would that be? Um, to go around healing all the sick. But how many of us have got the humility to want that for the benefit of others rather than for ourselves, to make ourselves popular? Of course, as we use spiritual gifts for others, we will experience joy ourselves. We will be encouraged in our own faith as we see the power of God at work. But according to this passage, that is not the main purpose for desiring them. It is for the common good. And so the challenge for us is is threefold, isn't it? First of all, we need to pray. And pray that God would make you aware of who is in need. It's not just out there in the world that people are, are in need, it's here in the church. There are needy people everywhere and we can easily be blind to them. Secondly, pray that God would help you see how you can help them. And thirdly, pray that God will give you what you need to be able to help them in their need. If you then do or say something which helps another person, God has given you a gift for that person. If you said something helpful, I don't think you need to get hung up on, is it a gift of wisdom or knowledge or prophecy? It's a gift from the Spirit for that situation, for that person. Rejoice in that. The words you you need to give for somebody will vary depending on the situation. That's why it's important to pray. What does that person need to hear right now? Thessalonians 5, Paul writes, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now, I'm guessing if we were given a choice between the gift of rebuke, warning those who are idle and disruptive, and the gift of encouragement, encouraging the disheartened, most of us would probably choose the latter. Um, Because people like being encouraged, don't they? They don't like being rebuked. Who really enjoys going to tell someone they're idle and disruptive? If you do, you're probably not the right person to receive the gift anyway. It's not for us to choose... Our gifts, verse 11 says, the Spirit distributes them to each one just as he determines. It's for us to ask God, how can we help someone? Now, he might want you to warn someone, or he might want you to encourage them. It might not be a verbal gift that God gives you. If when you you ask God to show you somebody's needs, and the the people he leads you to are those who, who are lonely, maybe new to the church. Um, and the way you feel God is showing you to, to meet their needs is to, to invite them around to your house, to, to befriend them. Maybe your gift is that of hospitality. Hospitality doesn't mean you have to be a great cook. Uh, you may have been gifted that area, you may not. Um, let's enjoy the gift of those who have, and um, let's not look down on those who, who haven't. It's about befriending, looking after those, caring for people. It may be that you don't have one specific gift, but a number of different gifts at different times. The Spirit distributes them to each person just as he determines. Spiritual gifts have a huge potential also for making us proud, don't they? Which is why it's important to be reminded that anything we have been given has nothing to do with us. Just as our salvation has not been earned, 
neither have our spiritual gifts. If we remember that the Spirit gives them to whoever he pleases to manifest himself and for the benefit of others, then hopefully that will keep our pride in check. The problem is that human nature is more prone to to tear down than to build up, to focus on what is not working than to rejoice in what is. As John Piper says, he says, the basic problem is becoming the kind of person who wakes up in the morning, thanks God for our great salvation, and then says, Lord, oh, how I want to strengthen people's faith today. Grant that at the end of this day, somebody will be more confident of your promises, more joyful in your grace, because I crossed his path. Piper continues, that the reason I say becoming this kind of person is more basic than finding out your spiritual gift is that when you become this kind of person, the Holy Spirit will not let your longings go to waste. He will help you find ways to strengthen the faith of others, and that will be the discovery of your gifts. And that helps us answer the question, what makes it a spiritual gift and not a, not a natural gift? Some people may just be, be good with people. They may just know the right thing to say at the right time. That's God, how God made them. And so isn't that a gift as well? Well, it is a gift from God, isn't it? Our whole personalities are gifts from God. But I think for it to be a spiritual gift in this context, it needs firstly to be a manifestation of the Spirit's power. And secondly, it needs to be used for the common good, to strengthen someone else in their faith. And with that in mind, let's just take a brief look at some of the gifts that are mentioned in this passage. The first two are wisdom and knowledge, a message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, verbal gifts. Um, and the messages would presumably be information that could not have been known without the Spirit's help. As you prayed for that person, the Spirit has given you some sort of enlightenment. And you've been able to apply that to that person's situation. Maybe you've been told something about them that enables you to have a conversation with them and to, to give them some, some wisdom for the thing they're struggling with. Maybe you're just able to help them know what to do in their situation. Whether that's wisdom or knowledge, difficult to know exactly what the difference is, but again, let's not get focused on, on that. The next three are... are sort of gifts of supernatural power, if you like, and they seem to be linked, faith, healing, miraculous powers. We all have faith if we're a Christian. Um, so this must be something a bit more than that. And if we look over the page in, in chapter 13, it talks about if I um, have a faith that can move mountains, and goes on to talk about not having love. But if I, if I can have a faith that moves mountains, in other words, a, um, a special gift of supernatural faith. Maybe it's a conviction that God will reveal his power or mercy in a specific way. If you've got that faith, then it's easy to push on, to keep going, because you know that God has told you that you need to keep going with that. He will enable that thing to happen. Healing is a, is a difficult one, isn't it? It's a controversial one. We know that Jesus healed. We know that Paul, the other apostles, healed. 
Um, we know that God has the power to heal today, and uh, some of you will have experienced that or seen it happen to someone you know. Of course, it doesn't happen all the time, does it? So there's a couple of comments I'd like to make with regard to, to healing. The first of those is that God is in control of every detail in our lives. The timing of the diagnosis of our condition, which medical personnel are involved, their actions or inactions, and ultimately, he numbers our days. And therefore, if we are alive, it is because of his sovereign grace and that he has ordained it. If God does decide to heal someone, whether it's supernaturally or through medical intervention, it doesn't mean that they won't one day become ill again. After all, all the people that Jesus healed did subsequently die. Any healing in this life is temporary. Um, So if you have been healed, whether it's a small thing or or a large thing, don't spend your whole time wondering whether you're going to get ill again, but actually just rejoice in each day that God has given you, that he's granted you. Um, Pray that he can use you, be a blessing to others. If God uses you to heal someone, secondly, it is to show his power and not yours. As with all these gifts, God may grant it to you once. He may grant it to you for more frequent use. There's no guarantee from this passage. Also, God may heal instantaneously, but he may also just heal in response to the prayers of his people. You may not even see that as you're praying from a distance. You may not see what is going on in the life of that person. So just because you can't see what is going on, don't stop praying. Keep praying and trusting in God. Miraculous powers, I don't think, um, it's difficult to know exactly what those are, isn't it? It's literally workings of miracles, that the passage says. Um, probably includes healings, but may include other things as well. But the passage finishes with um, the verbal gifts of prophecy and tongues, the discerning or interpretation of them, leading into the contrast between them in chapter 14. And we'll spend more time on them then. But just a brief word now. There's a, first of all, there's a lot of controversy over prophecy, um, what it actually is. Uh, in short, it's speech inspired by the, the Holy Spirit. Of course, in the Old Testament, so the prophets were those who'd been clearly called by God to give his message, his message to his people, often a message of judgment and a message of salvation, often with some future element to it. But with the outpouring of the Spirit, at the end of the age, prophecy, we are told, um, in Acts, is now available to all. If you turn to, to Acts chapter 2, we read on the day of Pentecost, in Peter's sermon, how he quotes from, from the prophet Joel in verse 17 of chapter 2. And he says this, In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people, Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So what is prophecy? Well, if we go back to chapter 14 and verse 3, it says it's a word of strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And the fact that it's um, uh, a spiritual gift means that it comes from the Spirit. So uh, if you're saying, what is 
different about a, a prophecy compared to any other word of encouragement, um, it seems to be a, for a specific situation. It's from the Spirit, and it's for a specific situation. So you may say, what is a sermon? Prophetic. Well, I would hope that a sermon has a prophetic element to it. Uh, as the preacher takes God's word, his general revelation, and he speaks to a church and applies it to the situation of that church. I would hope the Spirit is, is prophesying through the preacher. As a preacher prays in their, their preparation, they're praying that the Spirit would give them the message for the church that the church need to hear at that moment. I don't think that makes the sermon the only form of prophecy. Uh, there will be specific messages that the Spirit gives individuals for the, the encouragement and the strengthening of his people. And we'll come back to that in chapter 14, as we will do with, with tongues as well. But I'd like to finish uh, this evening, uh, and just on that, that verse we had earlier on, because I think this is a key thing I would like you to take away from this evening. That to each one, each one of you here this evening, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So let's therefore be the kind of people who pray this prayer. As we get up each morning, as we give thanks for our salvation, as we give thanks for our life, let's pray, Lord, how I want to strengthen people's faith today. How I also want to speak the gospel into those who don't yet have a faith. But grant that at the end of this day, somebody will be more confident of your promises and more joyful in your grace because I crossed his path and because you told me how I can help that person. Amen. Let me pray for us as we close this evening. Father God, we thank you as we've just sung for the Lord Jesus who is our servant king, the all-glorious one who left heaven, came into this world as a helpless babe to serve those who had turned away from him how we thank you for his wonderful servant heart that led him to the cross for our sake and father for those who can do so we rejoice in our heart this evening that we can say jesus is lord because by your spirit you've opened our eyes to help us see and savor jesus for who he really is Lord, as he has served us, so in some small way we long to serve one another. So, Father, whatever gifts you choose to give us or to keep from us, we pray that we would embrace all things that come our way, that we might turn them back to you in praise, and that we would use every moment of every day to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and to witness this world concerning the glory of Jesus. So go with us this week and may we not go in our own strength, but we will go with the power of the Spirit in our hearts and may it be for your glory we pray. Amen.